Hey, uh, well, first of all, I like to say, and I ask people gonna find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit. You know. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back, drop down, say bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did travel some humongous ways. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, that looks good on it. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Get a haircut. Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Peace Award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin, the maestro of micro-dosing, Samili. And I'm joined here by my loyal co-host and friend, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine, Waves magazine, Vaughn Corn Deadly. G'day, Smivy. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm very excited. We have a very special guest. This is all time. On the program. This is all time. I'm looking forward to this one, Smith, because uh, we've both just come from premiere viewings of a surf movie that I think is one of the best surf documentaries ever made, Mm. ever. It's an absolute masterpiece. I reckon it's going to become the most watched surf documentary of all time. Uh, The only one I can think of that rivals it is uh, Kissed by God, the Andy Irons doco. Mm. But uh, just, it was so emotional, mate. Like, uh, I saw it in, uh, in Byron. Uh, there was a Q&A beforehand with our special guest, who we'll announce in a second, and Lauren Hill, uh, Rasta's wife, and uh, Jody Cooper. And there was barely a dry eye in the house, man, And mm. uh, including your boy, Smithy, who doesn't tend to cry, but uh, <laughs> couldn't help himself. <laughs> mate, I, was, uh, I went up to Robina. I watched it uh, on the Goldie. I took uh, our little girl up there. She's... 12 and a friend of hers from school and uh the whole cinema mostly mostly young girls i'd say uh the the majority of crew in the crowd were between the ages of 10 and 16 Uh, a lot of parents but but mostly a young crowd and uh i I had goosebumps thinking about it just the cinema just erupted into cheers every now and again you could hear people crying in there you could just you could feel Pure anger at times in the room. You could feel <laughs> head shaking and disappointment, and it yeah. felt like people were. A few Baney and Dumb refugees getting burned oh, in the car yeah, park afterwards. A few of those. Um, but yeah, mate, it was just, uh, it was such a cool experience to share viewing it on the big screen and feel the emotion in the room. And uh, we had Wendy both are doing a, uh, a QA afterwards as well, which oh, was wow. epic. But the film is Girls Can't Surf, and it's a masterpiece. golden age in surfing. When you heard about professional surfing contests, it was always the men that everybody talked about. This is where the men are surfing, and this shitty hellhole is where they had the women. In the early 1980s, girls that got into pro surfing, they had the same dreams. You just wanted to become the best at what you did. But they didn't have the permission of the surf culture. I don't think they'll ever be as good as the men, and that's the same in any sport. I think they just need to look attractive, dress well. Oh, no, they were all such dumbass chauvinistic pigs. 
The very first contest we surfed in in Hawaii, the women's check was exactly 50% to the men's. Yeah, it was pretty bad. The 80s were really hard. If you were gay, you were diseased. I hit it my whole career. Got some flack that you girls need to lose weight or else the whole sport would fail. We got a letter saying we're going to eliminate the women's event this year and the bikini contest is staying. That's where we had to take a stand. It was like all of us girls, everybody that was in our generation was all of a sudden connecting. That was a pinnacle point where we all started to realize we can do something now. It sounds like a Wall Street story, really. Suddenly, there are all these, like, 12-year-old girls ready to be out in that water. And it was like, here we go. We were saying to surfing, promote us. We're not going to stand for less. They're a force of nature. Without their participation fighting those fights, there may not be a women's tour. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. This is, this is why we're here today, because we're going to chat with one of the stars. That's right. She's an iconic battler, a world champ, a blue-collar hustler, and another Scum Valley product of a single mother. Lucky boy, Simi V. <laughs> welcome to the program, Pauline Mensah. Pauline, welcome. Thank you. So, uh, Thanks for letting us in your house and uh, stinking up the joint for a an hour or so before uh, the mainstream slick ricks rock in and slick up the joint. Yeah, this is actually really interesting because uh, I grew up uh, in New Brighton and you were already living up here in uh, around Byron at the time that uh, I was a kid. Uh, one of my best friends who, who I learned to surf with, Tanya Smith, who's a, a mate of yours as well, um, we were always uh, completely in awe and just loved you in particular, but uh, it was just a, a rad thing, man. We we had Steve Foreman. He was uh, the the uh, I think he was like sort of the guy who manages the woodwork shed at Mullumbimby High School, and he was your surf coach for a few years as well. So we were right right in the thick of it, and I was in Mullum High the year you won your world title. So we got to ride that incredible journey with you. So it's a real sort of uh, return. To my childhood, getting to sit here with you in your lounge room and share a bit of space with you, Pauline. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's nice to have you guys here. So how's the response been to the film so far? Oh, it's been absolutely incredible. I've had um, so many messages and so much support. It's um, like I was tearing up the other day with just my happiness. I was just like, I cannot believe how much support I've had. Incredible. And um, just how many people have also been inspired that have seen it so far. And when I first saw it, I was like, wow, I could not believe they did such an amazing job, the way they put it together. Um, just from the old stuff to the new stuff, the the way they edited the music, um, the characters, the way they – what the, the parts that they picked out you know, the comments that we made, just everything about it was so amazingly well done. Mm. And um, I was the same as you guys. Even though I'm in the film, I was laughing my head off and crying many times through the movie. Mm. The, the film is world class. I mean, it's put together with that kind of Hollywood polish. Mm. Uh, you're not sort of looking at a, a bunch of surfers getting together and trying to tell a story. Like, what was the first 
introduction that you had to being a part of this film and did you know and had you always known that there was a story to tell about your generation? I definitely knew there was a story and I kind of felt for many years after I retired that it's a pity that our story wasn't told. And then a few years before this started getting made, Christopher Newless rung me up and we talked quite a number of times for hours on the phone and I could just tell in his voice he was getting very excited the more I told different stories. He's like going, wow, wow. So he collected a lot of stuff, wrote it all down and then went and saw a couple of people that were interested in partially funding it and then he was able to get a small amount of footage done and get a certain amount of funding and then once they saw that was, you know, this could be really something great, he was able to get another lot of funding and then um, he he didn't still quite have enough money so they actually kind of did a a call out to people asking if anyone can put in to help fund the, the movie and they got quite a lot of support then and then, um, yeah, they were able to secure enough money to finish it off. Do you want to just give us, uh, just for crew who don't know what the film's about, a bit of a synopsis of just what it is and what the story is? Because I think that a lot of people are going to watch this and not quite believe it. You know, having uh, sort of we're, – we're deep into sort of Steph Gilmore and the Carissa Moore and, the, and the, the new world of women's professional surfing that feels like it's always been there. But it wasn't the case and that's where the, this film was born. Yeah, so basically it's about um, – there's a few of us, there's probably about five main characters in there and it's about our own personal journeys but also the journey of the woman's tour. So it'll say, you know, a few things about our own struggle. So like myself, I had arthritis, no sponsors and so it talks about that, a tough family upbringing. Um, and Pam's is about her drinking – um, a stage of anorexia um, and so like, there's many stories like that and then the main thing is about just fighting for basic rights like at most contests they just used to say right oh the surf's really good now put the guys on and as soon as the wind came up or the tide changed or it was just crappy surf they go now put the women on and so that happened non-stop and and many other things like even the guys surfers were against us they they wanted us to have our own tour and get our own sponsors and basically just nick off because they felt like we were stealing their money. And that was the attitude of many of the surfer guys. Unfortunately, in the film, it, it picks out a few of the guys, but in general, I'd say 80% of the guys felt the same way. And um, just all the struggles that we had along the way. So, yeah, it was kind of never ending what we, what we went through. And uh, since the release of the film, like there's been a, a GoFundMe page set up. That's uh, I checked it just before coming here. It's raised forty one thousand dollars for you to to pay you for the nineteen ninety three world title that you won, which you received no money for. Um, and uh, you know, someone donated five thousand dollars anonymous. Uh, and I understand you've been even contacted by a few of your your male contemporaries from the tour. Um, Brad Gerlach wanted to to sling you some money. Um, yeah, talk to us, I guess, about the response from the public, but also um, some of your male tour counterparts who, who might have been, uh, you know, dismissive or uh, downright degrading of you. And, and I guess this film's kind of told them the story that they might not have been aware of. Yeah, so you just mentioned Brad. He um, only messaged me yesterday and he had no idea after watching the film. He was like... 
I had, seriously had no idea that you went through that. And he was like, can I swing you some money? And I said, oh, that would be great. But um, what's happened now with the GoFundMe page is it's absolutely been phenomenal. I said that I roughly missed out on probably around 25000 for, you know, being a world champion. But I missed out also on never having sponsors for nearly all of my career. Mm. So the money could go, the list could go on and on. But um, I decided that I would be happy with 25000 and to donate the rest to charity. And the reason I wanted to do that is because I've got a rare autoimmune disease now and one person I've been in contact with the last year has had no money for treatment. And so he's in the Philippines. So I wanted to make sure that his family got some money. Um, also the Disabled Surfing Association, I'd like them to have some money and um, an autoimmune disease charity as well. So wow. just things that things that I've been through in my life and, and know what it's like, you know, when you're, when you're not well, that I wanted to give back because... You know, I'm happy that I've been looked after. And to me, the recognition is worth more than the money and the, um, the love. <laughs> wow, mate, that is remarkable. Uh, one of the things that really struck me about the film too was, you know, you, you're witnessing bravery, um, courage, you know, kind of a, a trailblazing uh, path. And, uh, you know, just like there's all these human traits that are on show in that film demonstrated by yourself, Pam, Wendy, Jodie Cooper, um, Frida, and, and these are just universally adored human traits, and, and it doesn't matter what the gender is. You know, you sit in a, a cinema like that, and you, you can't help but be overwhelmed by emotion and and get behind people who demonstrate that kind of uh, staunchness and just standing up, having a, that kind of moral backbone. That's something that really struck me. You know, like um, for for a lot of men out there, they might think, oh, this is a, a documentary about women surfing. Uh, why would I go see that? The fact is, like, those traits just fucking rip the biggest boot up your ass and put so much, like, uh, you know, fire in your belly and your heart. Like, regardless of gender, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. Um, and it was just very inspiring for me to, to, yeah, just to see, you know, anyone having a crack in that fashion. Yeah, it's nice. I mean... Guys in general have changed in a big way, but there's still some that are like trapped back in the 80s and um, they're the ones that should definitely go see the movie because, um, you know, it's time for change and equality and, um, you know, you watch that film and I've had such good response from young kids and guys and everything that realise, oh, I can't even believe that we thought like that back then. We really do need to change and I'm hoping with this movie that it becomes almost a cult a movement, you know, like mm. the Me Too movement where people just change and start to be better people. Mm. Yeah, I just think that those values and qualities are just universally respected by by humans, you know, and it just so happens that women have been forced to draw on them more historically than men, like because, you know, women have been on the wrong end of, you know, they just don't have the power and economic influence that men have. So they've been forced to, to, to demonstrate these qualities over and over again. But, you know, I, I see the same qualities are uh, in so many of my heroes, re regardless of gender, race, whatever. They're just, I, I think, incredible qualities. Oh, one thing that I was sort of tripping on with the film, Pauline, is like, where did it start to go wrong for women surfing? Because like, if you look at 1964, for example, you've got Midget, uh, you've got Phyllis, both crowned on the same stage on the same day, uh, you know, Phyllis being the first ever 
Australian world champ because it was the first final of, of that afternoon. But where did it start to sort of peel off and, and become what it became, do you think? Like, because you would have had time to reflect on that watching this film. No, I've actually talked to a lot of the older generation and it's always been like that. They've always favoured certain people and even way back then, um, again, the same thing like shows in the movie about if you're gay as well, um, you get kind of like shot off to the side. So it's always been there. They just, yeah, that was just a photo. It wasn't really capturing what was going on. Yeah, right. Okay. So like the, the although the images, um, like, because even, you know, it's early surfing worlds did have a lot more women in them. But I guess uh, the more I think about it, there was already sort of bikini girls on the cover of Surfing World in 1964. That's two years after it started. So it was sort of veering off already into that uh what is it, the capitalist sort of, we're selling this, we're selling mm. that, these are the ideals. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, let's let's dive into Pauline's life a bit, yeah. Smitty, because yeah. um, those traits that you're talking about, they don't come from nowhere. No, they start young in Pauline's case. Um, as I mentioned, yeah, one of four kids raised to a single mother in uh, in between Bronnie and Bondi, I understand. And, and this was after just the unimaginable tragedy of um you know your, your father being murdered as a child um while driving his taxi rounds um in the eastern suburbs i mean can you talk to us about the the imprint that that left on you um so i didn't really know my father because we were quite young my me and my twin brother were only five so i don't re- have that many great memories of my dad but i have so many memories of my mum being so strong Mm. and um, she invited her mother to live with us. So basically it was my grandmother and mother bringing us up. And um, I just always felt amazed by my mum. Like I couldn't believe how she handled everything. Mm. And then as I got older, I spoke to her about how did you like, you know, even just get us all dinner ready and changing nappies and at one stage all four of us were in nappies oh my god and she's like oh you know you learn to like only change it if you do number two just flip the nappy around (laughs) because back then you had to um (laughs) you had to wash them all so yeah and and stuff like um to save money should make things like pizzas with rice on it Oh, wow. That's uh, some very interesting fusion. Yeah. It actually sounds a lot like the dinner I cooked for my first ever date, <laughs> which didn't go far beyond first date, to be honest with you. Oh, not <laughs> surprised. Rice with tomato sauce. Carbs on carbs is not something <laughs> yeah, to uh, no. serve your first date. That's um, sure. so, so that's like unbelievable. I mean, to, to have that sort of strong figurehead, two strong figureheads uh, looking after the family. Did you, did you feel like your childhood was a happy time despite those you know, those obvious setbacks of, of poverty and living with that sort of intense. Yeah, absolutely. Like my mum really made the most of things. So basically for her to also save doing hundreds of dishes and cleaning the house all the time, she got us to go straight from school to the beach. So all four of us go straight down there and um, we're more swimmers. So that was what we did for a long time. And then one of my brothers got into surfing a little bit and he broke his he had a cool light surfboard he broke that in half and so I grabbed the other half and started surfing on that and I was riding that for probably a year before um I went to Bondi Beach and started collecting cans mm. to get enough money to buy one That's wow. a, what was like what was the scene like when you think back to Bondi in those days I mean we know what it is now it's like mm. you know an aqua bumps calendar that's come mm. to life it's it's a pretty uh flashy place with a lot of money going into it but 
What, what, what are your memories of those early days at Bondi? Um, so I believe it's not called Scum Valley anymore, but it was mm. really Scum Valley and it was quite a lot of homelessness. Mm. I remember there was a lot of people from New Zealand living there as well. Um, yeah, so I really have a lot of memories of like Bronte and Bondi mixed together because I spent a lot of time at both. But um, yeah, because we spent so much time at the beach, I just remember most of my childhood, I just think about like, the Bronte Rock Pool, swimming there. and um, But most of my surfing memories would be at um, South Bondi. Because mm. there's the footage in the film of when you're younger and there's just some classic images, just how when you're paying attention to the background, it looks dilapidated nearly. It's, it's just so yeah. raw dog. It, it's funny. like It kind of still is. Like You drive up Bondi Road and, and you look up at the, the – the, all the shop fronts and the housing on top of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, quite a lot of that medium to high density housing in there. Everything's a bit kind of mildewy and mouldy and streaked with water. And uh, I mean, in terms of when the suburb changed, I think the Sydney Olympics really changed it. And the, the kind of the money started to pour in after the year 2000. Um, but up until that period, yeah, you know, you had like uh, the Astra up there on at South Bondi. Uh, you had a lot of heroin because it was so close to King's mm. Cross. You had uh, a lot of Maoris. It was kind of the first place that Maoris used to come to when they got off the plane or boat, like, uh, you know, it's, it's right next to the airport there. Um, but you also had one of the most iconic surfing movements in Australian history coming out of Bondi at the time, um, at a time when there was a big old stink pipe, you know, spewing hospital waste onto the <laughs> yeah. beaches. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was rank Actually, down there. You've just you've just triggered my brain into – I remember – Spending a lot of time in um, deserted buildings. Mm. Like we all us kids used to get up to so much mischief just going to lots of dis- deserted buildings, and I forgot about that. We even found one. I was actually under a, where a friend lived in a block of units. We found like this. I don't know what it was, some kind of cellar, and it was obviously homeless people living there many years before. And we just cleaned it all out, emptied everything out, and made it our surf pad. Mental. So, yeah, so that became our little hangout. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I have similar memories of uh, the Bondi icebergs when they, they demolished that and rebuilt the new one. There was like about a year there where it just laid uh, dormant and we had a good old time in there. <laughs> but, uh, Pauline, uh, talk to us about that, that generation of surfing because it's – I mean, I guess it kind of starts with um, – like Kev the Head Brennan, who's probably a bit before your time, and then you got you know Vic and Ron Ford and Ant and Steve Corrigan, Richard and Paul Cram, Shane Haran, the Weber brothers, Elksy. Like there was the the wildest kind of surfing movement coming out of the, of this shitty city beach. Um, but there's only one world champ in that that list, and that's you. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, why was the beach responsible for so many quality surfers during that period? I don't know. I guess because there was maybe not a lot of other things to do that we just all got into surfing and um, all those names were just like we're still hooting each other on waves and still encouraging each other. There's probably only, um, I mean, there's always some guys being really tough, but one guy, I'll never forget it. I can't remember who it was, but um, he came up to me, you know, and just said, you just need to get out of the water and I don't care if you're ever world champion, I'll never respect you. And then when I was world champion and I saw him, I went, could not wait to go up to him. And I said, <laughs> by the way, I'm world champion now and I do not need your respect. And he went, what? And I said, yeah, when I was a young kid, you said that to me. And I said, it just sat with me all that time. And so I couldn't wait to see you when I won and just mm. tell you, stuff you. Oh, mate. <laughs> Pow! Right, the kisser. Mm. <laughs> Got that. 
Uh, that's all time. But like in general, like uh, I mean, we know there was like a massive quality movement of surfing there. Where was where did you fit into that? Where did you see yourself, and and how were the guys who you know who you did respect? So basically, nearly all of them were always on the hill, and so everyone hung on the hill and would. I think it was too surfing. Like Kelly Slater said it many years ago. The best surfer is the biggest show off. And so we've got the hill at Bondi to watch the other surfers and show off to. So we're all like trying to outdo each other. And um, especially when you had that little close left-hand shorey there, mm. it was just like, you know, everyone was just wanting to do a big move in front of each other. But um, I got a lot of help from Victor Ford. Like he, mm. he I used to go back to the surf shop and talk to him and – he would really like help me with my style and he also helped me learn a lot about surfboards mm. and told me what to write down. You'll see in the movie there's like little things I've written down. He said what to write down and then look for in new boards when you get new boards shaped. So um, I thank him for that. And then um, another big influence was Kathy Anderson and Spot Anderson. And Oh, Spot, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were really like known, especially Spot was crazy. Iconic ITN... Uh yeah, he's uh, a legend, but uh, I think some of his antics would uh, potentially draw the ire of the, the woke mob today, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll we'll put it the... this way, hanging around him, that's why I'm not really worried about anything at all in this <laughs> yeah. planet, really. <laughs> because have seen um, spots freckle enough, that's for sure. <laughs> and a bit more. <laughs> well, you know, ITN in the nude. Yeah. So I saw like lots of nudity at, at that thing. <laughs> Didn't we all... But what's so, just just before we sort of like move on from from the early days of Bondi? Like, did, when did you sort of feel like you were good? Did you do you remember a wave or a moment where you, you were going, "Hang on a minute, this is more than just fun for me now." Like, I can I can feel that I'm starting to really surf well. So the first contest I went in, or the second contest, I got, I got a place. I think the one that really um, I really remember was the Triple J and coming. I think I came second to Pam, and then I got all these goodies and I like never gotten anything free before and I was like wow I want to keep doing this look at all this stuff and um I'll never forget I got interviewed by some lady at the beach and she's like you know what do you want to do do you want to be rich famous or all of the above and I'm like yeah I want to just be everything and then um so that's what I strive for my whole amateur career and then another thing that really want made me want to turn professional as well is here I am surfing Bondi and all of a sudden this contest is about to start and everyone got out of the water and then they kept saying, well, that little boy, get out of the area. And I'm like, I'm not, not, mustn't be talking to me. So I kept surfing. And then they're going, that little boy, get out of the way. And then I think they realised I was a girl and then they asked me to clear the area. And then I watched the other women surfing and I'm like, I reckon I could do this. And so I was really grateful that that event was at the beach and it gave me something to look forward to and thinking, okay, that's, that's what I want to do. Mm, mm. You must have been close to the only woman in the lineup in those days. Is that right? Uh, there was a few, but you didn't – like in ITN, there was probably about – there might have been 10, 10 women in the, in the club. Oh, really? But in the water at one time, you were lucky if there was another one. It was mm. normally one of you at a time. But um, I was lucky enough to grow up with an, another young surfer called Tanya Carlaw, and she just did it for fun. She never competed or anything like that. So – I went to the same school as her and were able to surf together. Mm. One of the things I really loved about the film is the way, you know, it, it kind of tells the story of, sure, you were being, uh, you know, burned, kicked and abused in the lineup, 
uh, at Bondi and a lot of the other women in the film uh, kind of went through similar events, just being degraded by men in the lineup. But then um, for like every one of those reptiles, there was also like guys that kind of backed you and protected you and, and pushed you. Um, I'm interested to know, yeah, like who were those guys? And uh, yeah, kind of just, I don't know, I'd love to celebrate that kind of uh, archetype, that male archetype because there's, I think most men are actually like that. Uh, like most men, you know, love their mothers. They, you know, love their sisters, love their cousins who are women uh, and don't like to see women being mistreated. Yeah, it was funny, you know, because some of the guys that were really mean would be really nice on their – like if it was just me and them mm. somewhere on the grass talking, they'd be fine. But in the water, they just had to keep showing their mates that they just don't accept you there. Mm. So I got a lot of both. But, um, you know, I think it growing up with three brothers – really toughened me so like even though I was getting a hard time again I just it was just a way of life for me and that's just how it was down there but another thing that really stood out in my mind is I was actually surfing Tamarama and I nearly never surfed there and um this one guy was just being a dickhead in the water and I, I said you said or if, if you were a guy, I'd punch you in the head. And I said, well, if I was a guy, I'd be punching you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And so that's what I did a lot. Like I just – I actually am quite a placid, cruisy person. But as soon, as soon as you hit my fire button, I just fire back. Mm. And so when I was at Bondi, I just learned to do that all the time. Interestingly too, I mean, I got I copped hidings in the surf as a kid at Bondi and I'm a dude and I mean, violence like I think it was just a part of that kind of culture, that lower socioeconomic kind of scene that was that existed between Bondi and La Perouse, Like, Yeah, remember it was throw you in the trough? Everyone uh, got thrown in the trough, whether you're a girl or a guy, if you did something wrong. So even now, like, which is actually a pity I find now, I don't want people getting thrown in the trough, but um, there's no etiquette in the surf i haven't been out there that much in the last couple of years but i actually was so shocked at how people just don't have respect for each other Mm. and so back in the day that they used to just make that respect happen of course it was the wrong way now you'd end up probably in jail but um yeah it was just crazy what they did to you and and that was like how you learned to be on the pecking order yeah yeah i mean fire i'm pretty sure the guy punched me when i was 14 or 15 was just a 110 kilo coke dealer but uh who, who had <laughs> no no appreciation of etiquette or anything he was just a madman <laughs> i think that was the same one that hit me yeah probably was <laughs> um so once you sort of you know you, you you're on your way like you know that this is what you want to do you was there sort of like a, a conscious decision or did you just get swept up on into a role of just going from comp to comp and like how did you how did you fund it like how did you get the support to do it like because even back then sponsors this is before your career's even getting going like were you just getting taken prize money and using that to go into the next comp or no there was no prize money at all so basically my amateur career I just started doing well like I uh, won the state title and then I went over to Western Australia for the Australian no yeah the Aussie title and um, to fund my way there I just asked the school if I could bake cakes like banana cakes and toffees and then also still as I did for many 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 years collect cans Mm. And um, I'll just scout like Bondi Beach on the weekend. You can make a lot of money out of Wow. Did it look like that. the kind of flags in the, the surf club race, but you were edging out homeless guys for the cans on the beach? <laughs> That's kind of what I'm picturing. Actually, it was all four of us because that was the way we got our pocket money. But um, mm. that's probably how we got to know all the homeless people. <laughs> the same kind. Oh, you're muscling in on our racket. Get out of here, Pauline. <laughs> this is my towel. You can't have it. 
Um, so, like, when was the moment where you're like, okay, this is it. I'm going pro. Like, did you, was there a comp so win was, or an yeah, Aussie title? Yeah, it was after – so I made it to the World Amateur Titles. So mm-hmm. I got to the Australian and then to get to the World Amateur Titles, I was always too proud to ask my family for money, but my grandmother loaned me $3,000 to, to go over to no there. No way. And then I ended up winning the World Amateur Titles. And then and what I, year was that? 88. Yeah. And then I turned professional straight after that. And then I came second in, I think it was the second event I went in with um, Tony Sawyer one. And then straight away I went back to my grandmother and gave her the money back. Wow. So basically I wanted, I just felt really proud that I wanted to do surfing on my own and not have, you know, other people using their money. And I got that same feeling when I won the world title. I tried to get sponsored mm. and then I just realised how crap all the companies were because I didn't have the look. I wasn't tall enough, didn't have blonde hair, I was gay, the surfing community knew it. And so I just thought, stuff yeah, I'll just go back to the old way of um, how I used to survive. And the year after I won the world title, I actually had a raffle. And I, the local community here was kind enough, to, I think I got something like 500, no, 300 um, prizes. And so I just had a massive raffle and just kept the money from the raffle to pay for the tour. Fuck, that so is old school, blue collar, classic. Just cannot believe that a world champion is having a raffle to get on tour the next year. It's just, it's yeah, I mean, it's yeah. And then when I was looking, I hear from Steve Foreman. He told me, I'm oh, just letting you know, um, it's off record though, so I can't can't officially say it. Mm. But they're not sponsoring you because you don't have the look that they want. Fire so out. that's when I really went, fuck is, I'm going to yeah. go um, look just and take at care one of stage, myself. You, you really kind of made a statement against that whole way of thinking because I remember uh, there was, I don't know if it was a press release or something like that, but you did this sort of counter point to the bronze Aussies where you put like a, a, a bush pig on your board and do you remember that? There was Yeah, a- that's actually, yeah, that, that was a bit of a fib. Someone made that up. Oh, okay. Actually, so what's the story no, behind actually, that? actually, like that was a joke because a friend of mine from Queensland, um, she – used to call everyone her bushies, like your bush pig, your, my mate. Yeah. And so everyone started calling me bushy and it was just like an endearing name. Mm. And then the guy in France who shapes my boards, he had someone paint the boards and as a joke he made it look like me but he was just being funny. <laughs> but um, I did make a point many times of like using the oldest surfboard and mm. wetsuit because I didn't even get that at one point. Especially the wetsuits, I, I wore one till it was completely falling yeah. apart, just to see if anyone would come forward and sponsor me, and it didn't happen. Wow, it's just hard to believe. It's yeah. actually mind melting. Did it fire up? Did it give you an extra reason to win? Well, my mum always taught me there's a positive in every negative, and the positive that came out of it is that I just did really, really well under stress. And mm. every time I had like a hundred dollars left, I remember being in California, I had. 100 bucks left and I had to get money to get to Europe. Mm, and the can collecting game was pretty well locked down over there, I understand. Oh, I tell you, I, I moved up in the world. I started collecting Levi jeans and ah, then reselling well them. Played. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I'll just do it of mine mm. in the end. But, um, the so, yeah, I started collecting Levi jeans, which were 25 bucks in the States and selling them in, in France for $150. Wow. And then same with I got this really cool bike that was $200 and it was 
you knew it was going to be a one-off and a classic in in France. Wow! So I sold that for like fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> just, <laughs> just street wheeling the deal oh, the mate. whole time. Yeah. It's, it's loose. amazing. It's so loose to think a world champ, a professional sportsman, was just having to rely on that kind of ingenuity. And that's just like it's like I don't know. It's like Huck Huck Finn like kind of mm. shenanigans to get by. It's so crazy. Yeah, you think. You think they'd even look at you like, why is Pauline walking out of the Connors area with like another case of Coke? Yeah. I just started like collecting all the cans because like full cans now. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, because each time I stayed with friends around the world, I couldn't afford to give them anything. So I would just try and, and milk it wherever I could in the contest. So I'd, if they were giving away T-shirts or hats or anything like that, I'd grab as much as I can for all these families that helped me out around the world mm. and pass it on. I kind of felt like I was – um. Robin Hood stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Yeah, we pretty it's, much it's, Yeah, I mean, you got on tour and you just you, – you had instant success, as you said, and uh, really established, established yourself as a future world champion while you had all this other stuff going on, you know, while you're battling to, to, to make enough money to eat and then travel and get to the next place, while you're battling uh, the arthritis. Like, one thing that isn't touched on in the film, which I wanted to ask you about, is like you hear Lane sort of – talk about the trigger that fired her world title year it was i think it was her first proper year where she didn't have to work to get money what was the difference in 93 for you because you went mad i think you won half the events on tour that year you just went completely schizo what was the big difference where you know you'd been doing the tour what for probably five years up to that point six even how come you just started blasting everyone out of the water um I was riding a twin fin with two stabilizers, and most of the contests were in tiny little crappy surf. Oh, twinny! Yeah, and so wow. um, that was just like I remember, especially even at Bells, I remember Wendy saying, "Oh my God, what have you got under there? A motor?" And I just like twinny, mate, twinny. That's <laughs> so, amazing. Because did you see the song and dance about Kelly riding a twinny in uh, at the pipe? Yeah, Masters? I did. You must have just been going, "Hang on a minute, oh, over here, oh, it's happening again." Yeah, overlooked. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think it was the first 20 ridden in a heat since Curran wrote a, a novelty one against Hoyo in France about a 1,000 years ago. And Yeah, I don't think many people even knew what I was riding. That's amazing, eh? Yeah, it's at the um, sports centre now, the Casarina. It's in... And that was that was literally the secret. It was just a secret yeah, weapon. Yeah, I think that, that helped a lot. And, uh, and then also I was just on a roll, I suppose. I don't think there was a trigger. I just felt good within myself. I was happy. Actually, I was in a new relationship, so I was really happy. While I was on tour with my partner at the time, I was calling everyone, calling her my coach to everyone because of the way everyone was so homophobic. Yeah, because even the, even the women on tour were quite homophobic. Oh, at it was time. horrible. Jody, Jody got yeah, and that's, fully shunned. That's why I kept she quiet because I just saw how nasty they were about Jody. I also saw how she lost sponsorship because of it, and then I heard about. You know, I know a guy f- that lived up the street from me in Bondi back then getting murdered. Yeah, well, I, I found g- out later that he Whoa. got murdered. But Man. there was that so much hatred around that it was actually weird because I'm such a, f- a straightforward person and honest. It was weird hiding something that you are mm. for so long. Yeah, that must – I mean, that's – like even just having to like try and function uh, in, in a world where you've got goals and, and all these other pressures – that's like the biggest of them all, right? Trying to – like you're not actually able to be yourself in any of these scenarios. Yeah, I just found it the, – the hardest time was when I won the world title and I 
couldn't say it then. The rest of the time it wasn't too bad, mm. but um, yeah. And then they were just talking about how did you do it and do you have a boyfriend and blah blah blah. And I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really weird. But um, for me, still the hardest thing of all was dealing with the arthritis, and no one really knew what I was going through to win. Like I was so crippled up. Mm. And the year I was going for the world title, I could barely walk. I was like walking with one leg in front of the other. My elbows were stuck, bent. My wrist didn't bend back. And I was like absolutely hobbling to the water's edge. And then as soon as the heat went to start the yeah. final event, I just so felt like there was nothing wrong with me. It's just incredible that the adrenaline and just wanting to win. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, watching the film, one of the things that really stood out to me is just just your surfing, like the lines, it's just genderless, stylish, powerful, smooth surfing. Uh, I'm interested to know from you, like, you know, what did you think your strengths were as a surfer? Definitely style. Like I remember when um, I was on tour, people used to always talk about me and Lisa having surfing like a man. Mm. And I'm like, no, we don't surf like men, we surf with strength. Mm. And so um, I think too a lot of the style comes from being that – lower down like that lower center of gravity and I watch a lot of the girls that have you know the style I don't like anyway or it's not smooth is um they're not crouching down enough or they're just flapping their arms a little bit too much and and it's really important to to use your um your core so that and and that's actually a funny thing because I use my core so much because my neck didn't turn Mm. so if you watch old videos of me You'll see when I do a turn on my backhand, I actually most of the time don't know where the lip is. I have to guess <laughs> because wow. I can't turn my head to look up there. So it's all comes from upper body. And then once I get the upper body, then I get enough view to see, you know. So it was a lot of... Um, That's remarkable. Yeah, kind of like feeling in the dark sort of thing. <laughs> That's, I, I, it's awesome that we're talking about surfing because like everyone associates your career, I think, with being an underdog, being a battler going from, you know, sitting in a wheelchair a week before the world title heats and then... That was a bit over exaggerated. It wasn't a wheelchair, but it was bad, but I was actually... in a trolley? It was a shopping trolley. Yeah. But I was getting pushed around in the shopping centre because I couldn't walk very mm. far without collapsing in a heap. And, um, yeah, I'd, I got my girlfriend to chuck me in the trolley and we'd go shopping and I'd just tell her what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's still... They're, they're the... That's the story. That's the narrative that we associate with you, and it's it's an awesome one, and it's it's amazing. But the actual surfing, like when you think back over your career, like what are the highlight sessions, uh, events, or where you were just going, I'm on today. Like this is this is fully happening. Were they at Bells. sunset? Bells. Bells. Yeah. I mean, I love the big waves as well, and I felt like I had a really good run there. But just bells, and even when I watch the footage now, I think. You know, I'll give the girls a run for their money now. Seriously, that's what struck me. I'm like, uh, you know, your style fully stands up today and I think it even supersedes a lot of the surfing I see on tour today. Yeah, well, um, the style's the same, you know, and um, just the only thing I was missing back then was the trick surfing. And I think for a lot of that kind of stuff, you really do have to be a gymnast. And we didn't train ourselves to be that strong. Like, I don't think anyone could have done, except maybe Frida, maybe Wendy, the one-legged push-ups and or what do you call it squats so um yeah and and even too people have to realize that our wetsuits were so much thicker yeah our boards were like i had a look at some of my boards just the other day like i can't believe i even rode that they were Mm. like potato chips they were so thin (laughs) 
and so like thin, narrow, and long. So that's not really a great turning circle compared to what they're they're riding. You know, with a lot more curve now mm, and stuff. Mm. But even gymnastics has has been sort of exposed over time. You know, like people still look at at Curran and uh, Oki and and yourself, and uh, that you know, like style is completely ageless. Like it doesn't mm. it doesn't grow old. I love that you're saying talking about bells as like a wave that you're connected with because that's a wave that is often discussed on tour as exposing people. You know, it's, it's a wave you have to know how to surf well. well uh, see, that was to, a, to that, have a good click out there. That was actually one of the few performing places we had. Mm. So it was kind of near the end of my career where we actually got to surf in more performance waves. But um, oh, I just would have loved the tour back then to have been in performance waves because so often I lost because I just didn't catch enough waves. Mm. And it used to drive me mental that mm. you just couldn't get – you couldn't even get to show what you can do because there's no waves came. Hectic. Mm. Yeah, Bells and Sunset. I mean, Sunset's where you won the world title in 93. And they're both waves that have that kind of long period energy and uh, kind of favour those longer boards that you're riding, I guess. I'm interested, interested to know too, like people from Bondi have tended to do pretty well at both those waves. Like Shane Haran did, did well at Bells and in Hawaii. Uh, what do you think, you know, what is it about growing up surfing shitty beach breaks that somehow translates quite well to waves like Bells and Sunset? <laughs> Definitely it helps you learn where to get waves because when you're surfing such crappy waves, you learn to read the ocean really well. Mm. And so people don't realise that um, surfing shitty waves really improves you. Mm. And if you're surfing Bondi when it's big, you're getting absolutely annihilated, as you know. Mm. You know, anything well, that's... Closeouts. Mm. Yeah, closeouts. So, mm. And Kathy Anderson and Spot used to make me jump off South Bondi out the, like way out on the point and paddle across and surf like 10, 15 foot closeout mm. where there's no one out in the water. Wow. And so getting pushed at a young age and they're just going, come on, Grom, you'll be right. I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'll be right. And I'll get out there and just get absolutely annihilated. Yeah. And it's something about, I mean, a lot of the best surfers of all time have kind of come out of pretty shit waves, like uh, the Floridians especially. There's something about small waves where your technique's just got to be completely perfect and it, it's all it's all kind of uphill from there. Like it's all – you get to any kind of quality wave with uh, longer period energy and it's, it's easy. You've got heaps of time. Your technique's suddenly like just able to flare. Yeah, and I guess you just have that patience as well because there's so many people and it's so crappy that you do tend to wait for good waves and then because you know how to read the ocean – you, you, you sit in a better spot. Mm. And I always rode bigger boards in Hawaii. So I was yep. riding bigger boards than a lot of the other girls. Most of the time they were like, you're on way too big a board. And it's like, out here you got to catch them. Mm. As long as you can turn it, you just ride the biggest thing you can. Wow. That's incredible advice. What what took you out of Bondi? Why did you decide to move? Was it just uh, that – yeah, I'm just curious to know because it is one of those places where people either don't leave or they get forced out. No, I left because of Steve Foreman. So I was driving up here all the time to get coached when I was back. And I was sick and tired of not being able to find a parking spot at Bondi. Mm. And I managed to talk my mum into moving up here. So the whole family moved up here. And wow. then, um, and where did, where, just straight into Byron or were you? No, I was out at Nuribar. Mm-hmm. And then when I bought a place, I moved to Ocean Shores. So I was in Ocean Shores from um, 94, I think it was, or 95. And then um, just recently moved, or four years ago now, to Brunswick Heads. Mm. Yeah, and, and like once you were up here, uh, did that sort of help you physically? Was the weather and the water and, and just all that sort of thing uh, like conducive to sort of 
focusing on other things besides the pain that you were going through? Well, moving up here was awesome because um, Steve's just an awesome bloke all mm. round, and he's like he's like a dad to me, and just his support of like even trying to get better. Like inside, he was really worried, going, "Oh my god, there's no way she's going to be able to surf." But in, to me, he was like, right, we're going to find someone that can help you eat right and we'll just do whatever training we can do. And so he just really worked around it and still kind of like shot me on my way. And so, um, yeah, just having him around was just awesome, really awesome. And, and the, the amazing thing about Steve Foreman is a lot of people don't know this, but he, he just actually announced his retirement officially this year. Mm. But um, he coached so many of us and he never got paid for it wow so i took him to hawaii once but because we didn't have money we couldn't pay him mm. so all those years he um he did it for that's nothing amazing, that's amazing isn't it that's just cool man full believer true believer yeah. just wants to see people reach their their best and Top. he he always had the attitude smithy like he, he was you know like i said we we're in awe getting around the school if you saw him you just yeah. be like there's steve he's like coaching yeah exactly and, and battlers look after battlers man because no one else is going to look after mm. you like i think uh battlerishness begets battlerishness and uh, <laughs> on Actually, you, steve. it's it's funny you said that because um when i did get offered product from the big companies i was like get stuffed and so i'd look for the smallest companies i could find and use their stuff mm. so i'm like if i'm gonna just get free stuff i might as well get it from a company that's tiny totally and what about just yeah like sky is a is an iconic byron surf brand what was the the hookup there was that just purely uh, that was because of steve yeah yeah and so i had sky boards for a long time and, and they that's really michael kunder shaping those or? yes yep yeah he was great and then that that surf shop smithy you'd remember uh it was on the north side of Byron, um, heading out. What's the road called out there? I can't remember now, but escapes me. God, I can't believe I don't know it's that road. Anyway, it's just full of traffic these days on, mm. a, on a Friday afternoon. But that shop ended up becoming Bilesy's surf shop. Mm. And, um, Powerful lineage. Mate, it's just, it was there forever. Mm. Bilesy's the survivor. Isn't mm. he? Gosh, man. So he wow. came to the, uh, when I was went to the world titles, he was one of the crew that was, I can't remember if he was at the world titles, but I do remember him in Hawaii. And he was still wheeling and dealing. It's like 14, 15 over there. Same same kind of thing. So. He was doing the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. He would sell like He'd get a, a box of Gorilla Grip and just run around town flogging it to all the yeah. kids to, mm. to get on tour and exactly. stuff. Exactly. So yeah. it's just. P 1991, Rookie of the Year, Jeremy Biles. Yeah. For those <laughs> we, we love him. But you know, the interesting thing is like just how many people didn't realize how hard we had it. And the media used to do stuff like, say, oh, Pauline Menzel wins Newcastle $30,000 event. Mm. And so everyone kept thinking I was winning $30,000. It's like, no, that's for the whole event. Yeah. That's for every single woman in the event that's got to be shared out amongst 16 girls. Oh, you can and imagine the press releases going out, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all focused on the total prize pool. Makes it oh, all totally. look uh, Being big pumped and fancy out and by white male reptiles, mm. just, you know, all that classical spin spin doctoring uh, by the press but I, I wanted to just dip back into hawaii too because that was uh it was a heavy place when you guys were there like it was and and i know that you and jody were close and uh you know she had such a tough time there, an incredible time incredible record too but had to put up with so much uh, i think she was telling me that you're actually in the car one day when um Johnny Boy Gomes like pulled up on you guys and was threatening. Oh, was that you sitting in the car next to her? No, I wasn't with her, but I heard about it. I heard about him hitting her and yeah. What was it yeah. like, uh, kind of watching her go, go through that entire saga? I mean, I feel like most men would have 
turned to water, let alone being a woman in that situation. To be honest, Jodie went through a lot and there was a lot that she didn't see as well. Like, again, because I wasn't out, the amount of shit that I kept hearing from people behind her back was just unbelievable. Like, oh, you know, such what a waste and, you know, she needs to be like with a real man and just just never-ending thing, I, you know, carpet muncher, just all those horrible things all mm. the time instead of just accepting her for being a, a charger. Um, and she influenced me a lot in big waves like, you know, you know the Margaret River story in Hawaii everywhere. What's she, the Margaret she, River story? Well, the massive waves in Margaret River. It was like – it was so gigantic. It's actually a funny story because um, I was staying with a contest director, Lindsay Thompson, and um, I was in the front room and his toilet's sort of at the back of the house and he comes – I could hear him running down the hallway and he's going, the toilet seat's rumbling, the toilet seat's rumbling. I'm like, fucking hell. That's not a good sign in my house. Nutcase. (laughs) Anyway, he goes, I go, yeah, and? And he goes, it means the surf is gigantic. It only rumbles when it's like bigger than 15, around 20 feet. And I'm like, oh, my God. Putting my pants because I'm thinking, oh, no, I've only got, I think I only had a 6'8 with me. Mm. And I'm like, there's no way I'm paddling out on a 6'8 if it's that big. And he goes... Oh, don't worry, I've got some boards. And he grabs, grabs a 7.8. I think he only had one board in the end. And I'm like, 7.8, you reckon we'll need it? And he goes, yep, it's going to be big. And so I went over the hill and I'm looking at these lines coming through and it didn't look that big because, you know, when it's gigantic, it just starts to look slow-mo. Mm. And then when I got closer and saw some people out there, I was like, holy dooly. And then there was like quite a few wipeouts in a row of no one had big enough boards. And the people that were actually surfing paddled out in the dark. And so, yeah, there was like broken boards left, right and centre, people um, getting dragged down. It was just like all happening. And I remember um, I was so keen to just surf anything. I just kind of don't understand why I didn't have a real lot of fear. It was, I was just a nut. Mm. <laughs> I was a nutter. And they said, oh, do you girls want to surf? And everyone's like, no, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. And then me and Jodie like, yeah, put <laughs> us out there. Yeah. And um, actually funny story too because her mum – I was staying with her mum at the time and the night before she's like, because she knew I had bad arthritis, she goes, oh, you want a foot massage? I said, oh, that would be lovely. And she used tons of oil. Oh, no, the old barley. The old barley. You think you're safe in Margaret River, but no. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like an ongoing laugh, like, thanks, Mrs. Cooper. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I did end up slipping a bit in in the water. But, um, yeah, it was gigantic, absolutely gigantic. And just before I went to paddle out, Pam gives me the board and she goes, oh, my God, Pauline, be really careful out there. I just got held under two waves in a row. I nearly died. And I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> While she hands me the board of mine that she's borrowed. And um, then I paddle out. And it wasn't until I got right out the back, I was like, oh, my God, this is gigantic. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to show off. Now it's time to show off. And I caught one wave. It was crappy. And then Lisa had priority. And then I went to go for another one and she just kept paddling for him and then pulling off. Mm. And then I go to paddle for another one and she kept pulling off. And then I went, oh, bugger this. I'm just going to go out the back. Silly thing to do because I actually should have gone on the inside of her. And then I went to paddle for this gigantic one. I thought she's not going to go. And then at the last minute she did. So I kind of like pulled back a bit and it was too late. It just <sighs> sucked me down. Oh. And it was like probably a 20-foot wave. And you just see I had really long hair at the time. My hair's like way up. And then I land down the bottom and you just see it's kind of like an avalanche of, of whitewash hits me. And I remember the um, 
lifeguards coming over and go, are you okay? And I'm just like, oh, fuck. And like, yeah, she's right, leave her alone. And I go, no, hang on, come back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, after that, I, I lost, unfortunately, because I got an interference. But um, oh. about for 10, 12 days, I couldn't get up. I, when I, if I was laying down, I actually had to put my hand in my mouth and on my jaw and pull myself up because I had whiplash, whiplash mm. so bad. And I think that's also because the arthritis, like I didn't have a real strong neck. Mm. And um, so that's even more so than Hawaii, that's really etched in my mind. Mm. I was going to say, I remember that comp. That is legitimate 20-foot surf. Like it, it's it's Waimea Bay-sized waves. And uh, I think uh, from memory, uh, I definitely saw footage of you getting a couple of huge ones out there. Yeah. If you, 100%. If you, is if that from right, early heats or? That's the heat. Yeah. So if you put in um, – like Margaret River Pro Pauline Menzi, you could probably find it online and it's, watch it. It's, we'll, we'll, we'll chuck it up. It's huge, mate. It's so massive. And I think like in that same comp, Curran and Nikki Wood surf waves like from the tip of Margaret's way to the beach. Yeah, I remember Nikki just absolutely ripping the bag Finishes out of it. Finishes one over in the, in the river mouth or something. Like yeah. It's just crazy, crazy huge surf. Wow. And, um, but, yeah, that, that was like uh, – Still the, the, one of the biggest waves ridden in Australia in a contest. Yeah. Yeah, and that that but that uh, footage of you out there is just incredible. Like it's just so amazing. Just you know, like you say, not even being able to turn your head to look up the face and see what was coming down at you. <laughs> Can't I think, even I think too it. though, when I think about why I didn't have fear of the guys and why I didn't have fear of these waves, is because when you're living with so much pain and so much um, challenge. That the rest is easy. Mm, like, such a good point. Yeah. Like, you know, even if you just touch my hand, like barely touch, or you, if if you went to shake my hand, like that was actually a nightmare on tour because you're always meeting new people. And every time I went to sh- shake people's hand, they'd squash my hand mm. and like trying not to cry while they're like saying hello to you. And it probably wasn't a hard handshake, but because I was in, I was, my hands were so swollen, it really hurt. Mm. And so I think that's probably where a lot of my character came from was. Um, from my arthritis. Mm. Mm. I'm interested to know just, you know, when you're watching the film now, Smithy, like it feels like the camaraderie of of uh, everyone who went through that is really solid now. Like you, you can all look back on it and you can all like look at each other with conviction and say, yes, we have created pro surfing as it exists today. The we mov- played a big part, right? Yeah, the movies definitely brought us all back together yeah. because we're all kind of doing our separate lives. And since the movie, everyone's been contacting each other and encouraging each other and there's really nice messages to each other on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. And we've been able to talk about our relationships on tour. Like, for instance, me and Wendy were such rivalries and now we have a really nice friendship. Like, we're contacting mm. each other. But that's what I was going to say is, yeah, like, you know, really nice. when you look back at it, though, and you're fighting, you're fighting tooth and nail, not just for the sport but for yourself. Uh, it, it couldn't have been like – it just couldn't have been uh, a case of just all being on the same page and heading in the same direction all the time, right? Because yeah, we all had our own agenda and mm. like just surviving for a lot of us was the hard thing and so you didn't want to get involved in like, you know, too too much conflict. Like myself, I used to surf my heats and then just leave. Mm. I didn't so hang who around. did you see? Was it Wendy who was your great rival, like the one you just like love to get in a dog fight with? Definitely. Yeah. Have yeah. you got like a, an anecdote of a heat where you two just full like a, either brought out the best or the worst in both of you? There was many. <laughs> yeah, but there was so many. Like, <laughs> yeah, we had some 
so many. Like I can think of one: Japan, Bells, Hawaii. And what was the yeah. mood like in the heat? Like, are you guys talking you don't to each really other? Talk. Are you just no? The only other than that time, Wendy saying about the um, the have you got a motor under your board? But um, I kind of felt like I know she didn't hate me, but I kind of felt like she hated me then, and so I just really wanted to beat her. Mm. So I just had this like oh, I just wanted to beat people so bad, and it was the same with Lisa. Like I couldn't. I loved beating Lisa. The same thing, but um. Lisa kind of loved to be angry. Like she liked to be kind of angry Anderson. So we never really had too much of a friendship other than it was like, you know, in a contest area where you kind of stuck together. Mm. So we didn't bond that way. And same with, with Wendy really. Except for with Wendy, I, I was sponsored by the same people for a while. And then we did a bit of filming together. So I got to know her a bit better. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's interesting. Like for me, the film was... It was not so much even about, you know, feminism or, or, or women necessarily because, like, you see that in the film. Like, everyone's got, like you said, their own agendas. Uh, you know, it, it shows that women are far from perfect. You know, they can be homophobes and, um, you know, the, Wendy Botha was degraded for her nude playboy spread. But, you know, there's, like, it's, it's all choice. She's allowed to do whatever she wants. She was proud of it. Um, but for me, I think I already kind of touched on it. The, the film was just about um, where it really nailed it. It was just you guys were just the qualities, the, the human qualities. It, was, it told incredible human stories about complex characters that weren't perfect. Um, and for me, that's why it succeeds. It, it didn't kind of hitch itself to some you know identity politics woke feminist fad it was like no these are just human stories that happen to be about women and the qualities and values that are on show which is you you can't not be affected by it It was Mm. incredible yeah i totally agree i just loved it it's it's just i guess like for me it's it's a strange one because uh i started working on surf mags in 94 so uh let's see yeah you you'd won the world title uh and and things were sort of heading I, I just came into a culture of tracks that was pretty much really deeply entrenched and established that, uh, you know, your, your male pro surfers got all that attention. Weren't they, wasn't it run by Playboy or something? And that's what it, I was told, was, that that's why they were so, like it was just like the women need to be portrayed as this. And so tracks tend to do that quite a lot unless we were, we felt like it was a specialty to have being tracked. Well, I think that it was in the same uh, building, same as Playboy, building, same publishing point, company, Saint Leonard's there, yeah, in North Sydney, yeah. yeah. But, I, I but don't they know. owned like that publishing company owned like a thousand titles, and Playboy was one of them. Well, also mm. owned Golfers Digest. And I think Brizzy touches on it in the film. It's like you, you, when I was like just a kid myself, you know, like I did, I did two years there. I think I took over Waves when I was about nineteen, and um, the the big thing that Brizzy touches on is like once you get into those companies. It is the advertisers who kind of like dictated it. Even if you felt like you had headstrong editors and there was good ones in there. You know, you had Nick Carroll, you had Tim Baker, you had uh, Gary Dunn and um, Reg Ayles. And all of them had differing levels of support for women surfing. But generally speaking, uh, and it just wasn't on their the forefront of their brains because they were doing stuff that, they thought was going to appeal to their pretty much all male re- readership. Yeah, like that's that's what it sort of came down to. And it's also kind of unfortunately, I think it's unrealistic to expect men to know how to cover women surfing or, or like it's kind of like you know they don't trust 
white people to run magazines that deal with minorities or, or you know, uh, cultures that aren't their own. I think it, like, so for me to, in order to, to realistically bridge that gap, there needs to be a female surf media, female surf editors. Um, like, cause it's well, just, I was just going to say, mate, I reckon that the editors who watched that film would look back at their times and every single one of them would regret not doing more because I felt like that and I came kind of in after it. And in fact, even when I, uh, I like when that uh, Blue Crush era hit, and uh, they asked me to make uh, a women's magazine or a girls' magazine was what they wanted. And I just felt so uncomfortable about trying to do it because it didn't feel like it was going to be the voice that needed to be driving it. You know what I mean? It felt insincere. It, it actually felt like it's this not. is a grab, a money grab. Mm. Yeah. And so it was uh, – yeah, I, I, I felt like that every single editor who felt like that they had a, a direction – and a purpose and they were really backing themselves would be watching that going, actually, we got steered around a lot more than we cared to admit. Yeah, and you know what? That's what the whole film to me is about and it's important to be you. And, like, I've always been true to myself and, um, you know, nowadays I watch the girls doing these pouting and, and having swimsuits up their butt and... They're scared to do something different. They're scared to be them. And I really hope with this movie that people start to be athletes and not worry about these companies making you be something you're not. Mm. And like to see even these little girls starting to get in like tiny little swimmers and pouting, I just go, oh my God, why is it sexism? Mm. Like why can't they just be little surfy girls? Mm. And for me, it's just so, so important for people to not lose their identity and just be you. You know, this the the way of Instagram is now, it's like so untrue. And, um, you know, like even like you said, if you follow your dreams and just do it, just go for mm. it. Don't worry about what other people think. The world will be a better place. Oh, I was just I, – I, I felt proud at the end of the film that, you know, uh, having a, a 12-year-old girl and her friend watching that and seeing that message – and seeing it undiluted and mm. real and raw. Yeah, and they understand it. Painful 100%. and totally getting yeah. it. Mm. Totally getting it. It was just awesome, man. It was yeah. such a great thing to share. I think the reality is, though, that the entire industry and the entire media of surfing is still run by men. So until that changes, unfortunately, like, it's just, it's, there's always going to be uh, a, a misrepresentation of, of women because men don't know what it's like to be a woman. Yeah. So it's well, just this is a good question to ask Pauline now. Like, I mean, uh, aside from the social media and, and the marketing side of things, like the contribution you guys made to women's pro surfing and what it's looking like now, is it just something you shake your head at and, and feel very proud of or is there still a ways to go for you? Like, where do you see... Oh, I feel really proud of what I did and I'm glad that they've caught it on a film. But um, I just hope that it doesn't get too lost in just this whole marketing world. Mm. And I kind of feel like that now that it's just so marketed that where are those real strong characters now? Like, you know, because they're these people, or the women, not, all, not everyone and not every one of the guys, but a lot of them have to do what they're told and they can't be that little bit different. That's where I find it's it's a real bummer that um, you know they're they're basically doing what they're told because mm. of the, there's so much money involved. Who who were the surfers that you loved growing up? Like, I, I, and I'm talking about surfing. Like, who did you look at and just go, that's 
awesome and feel inspired by, men and women? Uh, I just was really inspired by Kelly because he was doing all the new moves, Potter, Dave McCauley, Danny Wills. Like there was a lot of people and a lot of them were actually their personalities. It mm. wasn't just the surfing. People who were kind. Barton Lynch, like I got my first sponsor thanks to Barton. And um, in the women, I'll be honest, I respected most of them and it was just different things that I liked in their surfing. So like for instance – if you go a step back in time, like Nerida Falconer might not have been the most amazing surfer, but she really wanted to win. Same with Lane. Um, Pam, I love her surfing, but she's just got such a beautiful, gentle personality and she's always been kind and caring. Mm. And same with Jodie. She's kind and caring and a charger. And then Lisa, I've always admired her style and strength and um, just she always pushed me to another level. So, you know, there's there's goodness in everyone really. And and just in a perfect world, if if surfing was run by women, the media, uh, the contests, the industry, you know, what would what would you do differently? Like, um, again, like a big part of me is not sexualizing things. It would just be nice that people are people. Mm. And um, I don't feel like I mean it would be great that women get those jobs, but I don't feel like it has to be that way. I feel like just people need to change their attitudes. Mm. and treat everyone as equal. Mm. And just finally, because thanks so much for your time. This has been so fun. And um, like, tell us about surfing now. Like, is it something that you, you are able to enjoy? Are you, I know that you've got uh, this new condition that's probably having an effect on it, but are you able to get in the water? Are you able to feel stoked? So the good news is I've, I've had two years of um, dealing with another chronic illness called pimphigus vulgaris mm. you can google that if people are interested <laughs> but um i'm at the end of my treatment now and i'm a lot better and i actually just got in the water last week and once this week and it felt absolutely amazing like there was kids out there that i know and i was able to already start coaching them again mm. and just i didn't get many waves but i was just so happy to be out in the water and don't take things for granted mm. that's so nice I, actually i think one of the kids uh, who came to the film with us, Ash, her name is. She's done some stuff with you. don't know if it's coaching or whatever, but she knows who you are and was stoked because she's, she's got an arthritic condition as well. So she said that she'd met you and, and talked to you about it. So that nice. was cool. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, it's always nice to encourage and, and take time for people. Like I'm quite happy to surf and if anyone's, anyone local wants any tips when I'm in out, out in the water, I'm happy to give any tips you want. That's awesome. Yeah, that, man, 93 world champ. Uh, yeah, if you're an up-and-coming female or male surfer, you'd be wise to tap into that brain, I'd imagine. Oh, 100%. And uh, living in Bruns, just happily and loving life. It's awesome. I'm, I'm here now. I work as a bus driver, a school bus driver. That's my and old bus route too, isn't it? Yeah, you're saying Past that. Past Golden Beach, yep. go into Bruns, out to Mullum. Just can't say the number of the bus, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I just love it and... So I do that and I'm an avid gardener now. I just go absolutely berserk in the garden. Yeah, your garden's popping. I might, uh, might bring around a little micro dose and uh, hang out in your backyard if that's right sometime. <laughs> yeah, there. I've got my little camp kitchen out there. We'll have a barbie. Sounds unreal. Are you kidding me? Ah, uh, Pauline, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming, guys. Congratulations again. And, um, yeah, we just I've loved, enjoyed it today. Love getting the chat. Absolute icon. Scum Valley's finest. 93 world champ. Pauline Mensa. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me?
me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? Kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me. You kidding me? Are 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 you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?